It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Welcome to The Answer. Uh, the voice you're hearing introducing you guys today is not Kyle Mann. Uh, as much as I miss his, you know, dulcet tones, we actually had to be separated. We really got into it pretty bad a couple a couple days ago. So we're on a bit of a timeout right now. And uh, instead, we've got, you know, I think we've got a great guest today. We've got Michael Pina. You all know him from from The Ringer and, you know, all the all the great articles that he's been writing for us. Uh, a much friendlier face, I think. I think we're going to get along a lot better. Uh, we, we've developed, I think, what is a what is a good rapport. So I'm excited to have him on. Michael, how's it going? Just a, a lovely introduction. Just made my day. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. See? See, like, why? Like, Kyle could be more <laughs> like that, right? <laughs> I'm setting the bar so high right now. You really are. You really are. Uh, today, we are... Well, I'm having, like... I'm having this creeping sensation. And it happens It happens at, at different points every every season where I start to talk myself into the Philadelphia 76ers. And what happens when you talk yourself into the 76ers is the more you start to believe in them, the more anxious you start to feel too. <laughs> like you get this feeling in your gut that you're like, really? Really? Are you doing this? Uh, but they are 22-7 and seven since the new year. Uh, fourth best offense, 10th best defense. They have so, so many markers of cont contention. They have Joel Embiid, who might be the best player in the East. Uh, 
MVP candidate, uh, probably the MVP favorite at this point. Uh, Giannis is creeping up on him. Jokic is always kind of going to be in that in that picture. Uh, but they also have a lot of questions. You know, they have they play some of the worst transition defense that you've ever seen, and they play stylistically very different than the two teams that are kind of ruling the East right now in Boston and Milwaukee. So I don't know. Is, is this is this going to be a situation where? their style ends up being the perfect sort of matchup against those guys, or are they simply just a a good regular season team, a promising team that always, you know, finds a way to, to flounder and like they do have James Harden. So that, that adds to the equation there, but there's so much to get into with this team. And uh, this is kind of a response to a podcast that we did earlier in the season. We promised you guys that we would revisit the Sixers um, and uh, some of those questions have been answered, but we that you know the more you answer questions, the more new questions pop up. So I'm excited to get into it today. The Sixers are such a fascinating team. Every single year, they're always tantalizing. They always seem to disappoint. We have to talk about them because the playoffs do not begin tomorrow, right? There's still 20 odd games, not even left in the regular season. We're in the stretch run. But for me, it's like I I. I can't ever just jump two feet in to the Sixers pool. I don't, I don't do that. I've learned my lesson. I learned it a long time ago. And that said, just watching them in on last Saturday night against the Bucks, like winning that game, it's only one regular season game. Doesn't mean a whole ton, a lot of noise and stuff like that. But I was impressed. A very impressive win. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, you know, one thing that stuck out to me about that 76ers win and also that loss against the Celtics a couple weeks ago is Joel Embiid is sort of giving me the vibes of Giannis Antetokounmpo in maybe 2021 where these matchups that used to give him a lot of trouble, he's slowly starting to figure them out. I'm not saying he's there yet, but... I feel like he's getting enough reps on Brooke Lopez. That game against the Celtics, it felt like he was starting to figure out Al Horford. Now, I don't know if he's figured out Grant Williams. I don't know if anyone... I was about to say, I'm so glad you brought it up. He just <laughs> he hasn't figured out the, the the puzzle that is Grant Williams. Just, you know, getting into him with the leverage, the low body of gravity. It's just that he's just... Grant is a is a, an enigma for a lot of scorers, and Joel Embiid is on that list as well. Well, Grant Williams is just a puzzle that even Grant Williams himself <laughs> has never really quite been able to figure out. <laughs> that is that is unfortunately for Grant because of the the night that he had yesterday. <laughs> um, not gonna be Bummer. not gonna be the day that we do like ten minutes on Grant Williams, but next time you're back, we certainly will, and it will probably be in June when Grant Williams is kind of toe to toe with Tatum for w- winning Finals MVP, and we have to discuss that. <laughs> yes. So we can we can save that for later. But yeah, no, it's like the the Celtics in particular have so many guys that they can throw at Embiid. And that is something that gives me a lot of pause. But at the same time, I feel like Al Horford, who, who you know, at one point gave him so much trouble that the 76ers decided to actually trade for him, is a guy that now I feel like Embiid is realizing, okay, like, not only am I bigger and stronger than him, but he's figuring out how to use that. Um, with both Williams, it's a bit of a different scenario. That's another thing for him to sort of figure out. I think that, like, when he tries to bump a guy... 
and it gets it gets him actually a little bit off balance because he's actually just not that used to playing against guys who can match him strength wise. But overall, I just like the season that Embiid is having and the way that he is slowly sort of starting to analyze these matchups. Like yesterday, um, you know, or Saturday against the Bucks, it was a little bit more like, okay, well, we're just I'm just gonna pop a lot and I'm gonna try to shoot over Lopez. And that, for most of this regular season, has been working. I think he he crushed him in that first matchup that they had. Um, Giannis is not really a guy that I, f- I feel like we just don't see a lot of Giannis on Embiid, and I'm I'm curious why that is. Uh, but at this point, you know, the Bucks being a team that just you know loves to make you shoot mid range jumpers. When you got Embiid, who's shooting forty nine percent from mid range really mastered that part of his game really mastered like pretty much every part of his game except for the playmaking although i do i do uh i do enjoy when he you know pump fakes and pass fakes and then gets the double team to just kind of go away it's like a whole bunch of bugs just crawl like it's it's like when you when you stomp and you just see all the ants go back into into their cave like that's kind of what happens when Joel Embiid does a pass fake because at this point he's getting doubled and tripled and even the idea of him like pretending to pass the corner I wish he'd actually pass the corner a little bit more I think that's going to be key to the Sixers success but just these little micro movements that he does just gets everyone moving like it like one of the like one jab step can kind of part C so that is that is probably the biggest reason that I'm starting to believe in them. Like I genuinely feel like Embiid is getting to the getting to a place now where he is just an impossible matchup for even the best defenders in the league. Just a lot to unpack here, including the PTSD that you triggered from my childhood of stomping on ants and them not dying, just falling into the cracks of my sneakers, into the cracks of the sidewalk. Just brutal mm-hmm. stuff. So that was PTSD for you, not the ants, right? No, the ants survived. They thrived actually. So Wonderful memories for them. I think so. Thanks. I appreciate that. It's really interesting, though, what you said about Embiid trying to manipulate defenders, manipulate double teams. He does that a little bit. I mean, I want to start by just saying, obviously, having the best year of his career, he's one of the top two. You called him the favorite to win MVP. I don't know if I had necessarily... Kind of changes every week. Who's, yeah. Who do you have? Who do you have this week? I'm Jokic, always, forever okay. until oh, right. yes. the end of time. But um, he's certainly a candidate. He could win easily. Um, having the best year of his career, most efficient year of his career. What thirty three points? Absurd true shooting. Probably the most dominant player offensively. Um, Giannis included. There's really nothing you can do with Embiid gets to the free throw line. He's got the jumper. Um, Harden has been amazing this season, setting him up for those wide open elbow jumpers, those 12 footers that just uh, can't do anything with that. It's like a coin flip, whether or not it's going to go in. And then he's automatic at the rim. And when he ducks in on those set plays that they have that they've been calling more often, he's just, it's two points or it's, you have to foul him. So he's, he's amazing. The defense has been okay, not not great, especially last night against the Pacers when he just wasn't playing any of it. So that's fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he just has these stretches in every season, and I don't know if it's a health thing. If it's a self-preservation thing, then by all means, Joel, do your thing. But there's stretches in every single season where Joel Embiid, who is ostensibly, like, I think, one of the 
when he's trying, one of the single best rim protectors in the NBA who can also guard most matchups out in the perimeter. Like You don't necessarily want to isolate Steph Curry on him by any means, but for the most part, I'm not too worried when Joel Embiid is trying and engaged and locked in, but he's like... He's also got these points where it's like, just don't put him on a stretch five. He's not going to go out and guard him. He's no. going to hang out in the rim, you know, and that's that's kind of what was happening against the Bucks, And it was very much happening against the Pacers, too. He got dropped by Buddy Heald on a crossover. And I was like, is it because you're just not interested tonight, Joel? <laughs> like, it was it was good stuff. But uh, but one of the more interesting things with him offensively, I'll say, like, you brought up the decision-making. You said you'd like to see him kick it to the corner more often. I think his unwillingness to pass over double teams and sometimes triple teams where he'll shoot over the top, like I don't think that's the elephant in the room, but I think his decision-making is far from infallible. Like He just looks off open teammates all the time mm-hmm. for like contested long twos, and a lot of the time that shot goes in or he draws a foul or something good happens regardless. But I just think that like, is his usage too high for like success in the playoffs? Like, is that something that we should be talking about with the talent that they have on their roster? There's other superstars around the NBA who do not. I mean, I think he's second in usage right now. And I feel like he doesn't need to have that high of a usage. And I just wonder if they need to play, you know, going back to the stylistic question that you brought up at the beginning, a little bit more of an egalitarian offense, a little bit more of Tyrese Maxey getting involved. Um, Harden's usage is like, I don't even know, it's like 25 or something. It was below Tyrese Maxey's a couple of weeks ago when I wrote this article about Harden, which just like floored me. Um, and Harden's playing great. Maxey's scored over 20 points in five straight games, which is the longest streak of his career. And it's kind of silly for me to sit here and be like, take the ball out of Joel's hands. But if Joel is going to force shots that are bad in a playoff series, I don't know if that, especially like the way they play where they just take a lot of shots late in the shot clock that are not great and do not go in and they do not offensive rebound. And they do not get back in transition. Sometimes they don't even defensive rebound. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's a key part of the game. So I feel like this is just something that is worth interrogating for a team that is super talented, I think, has almost every ingredient, maybe every ingredient, ingredient if Jalen McDaniels is for real, to win an NBA championship. Um, And maybe just things need to shift beyond... Uh, Doc Rivers rotation, which is another thing that everyone loves to talk about and how he doesn't. Yes, we will talk about that. But I, what are your what are your thoughts about that? Am I crazy for even bringing this up? No, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, usage rate is something that like I. So Joel is actually third in usage in the NBA right now. Um, just behind Giannis and Luca, and Giannis, I imagine, you know, just a lot of it is just health with the with the Bucks, right? Um, yeah. and, and with. With Joel, and also, by the way, I just did a quick check. James Harden, and this this has some noise because I didn't put in the filter stats, but James Harden is 67th in the NBA in usage. It's wild. That is just not something I ever saw happening in my career. And we def- I definitely want to talk about your article at some point, too, because <laughs> that was great. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's, I think you're, I think you're playing Doc Rivers music here when you say that you want to see a little bit more ball movement from Joel Embiid. I think there are times, even with Al Harden is playing, how, or I want to see more of it from Harden. That game last night against the Pacers, I felt like in the fourth quarter, the Sixers just leaned on all of their bad habits. It was just a lot of, Joel not playing defense, uh, nobody running back in transition. It's like a half-court layup line for the Pacers, and you've got Harden basically dribbling the ball at the top of the key, taking step-back jumpers. And this isn't a game where Tyrese Maxi Maxi started, too. Uh, and that's also like at the same time, you got to give him credit. Like the uh, the first half of that game was like I think I think Harden just picked up like a cool nineteen assists uh, from getting off the ball quickly and making quick decisions. But that just doesn't happen all the time. That's kind of the story with this team. I feel like pretty much since the beginning of the season. They are aware that they need to play differently than they do, and I think James Harden especially has been aware that the play style that he did in the past with the Rockets, where he's just thumping the ball and you know just making every possible decision, is not going to win him a championship. It's also not something that is sustainable for him at this point in his career. Um, with Joel, it just feels like he hasn't totally internalized that idea yet. Uh, there are times when it still feels like he's gunning for the MVP award. And I think that also gets into why we don't see as much defensive intensity from him at times too. It's just that he is trying to be the do-it-all guy on offense and doing it all himself. So you're just going to have, you know, you're just not going to play on both ends, especially if you're Embiid who has the injury history uh, as well. So, you know, I, I, w- I really like the fact that he took some time off uh, around the around All-Star. Uh, I think that was smart. I think it's something that he's kind of hesitated to do since he's, you know, been trying to push himself to be a guy who's not seen as injury prone. But at the same time, it's like, let's just live a little bit within your limitations and you'll be able to do things for this team that are actually necessarily like, like protect the rim. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind of digging into their defensive numbers and I was trying to figure out where exactly it's so bad outside of transition. We know transition defense is a huge problem. They're bottom three in transition defense. And it's something they've tried to emphasize all year, but it's just not. That's a problem that's not necessarily going. They're also bottom seven in opponent points in the paint. And that's just something where if you're Joel Embiid, like you cannot be okay with that. You know, you have to, you just have to do a little bit better. So I think, I think balance is something that's very much in order for this team. Uh, at their best, we see it. And at their best, that's those are the moments that I started to believe in the Sixers. I think Maxi coming off the bench works for them. Uh, Melton is just a much better perimeter defender. And it's really hard when you've got Maxi, Harden, and Joel out there. And on a night when Harden and Joel are def- are disengaged, it just it, it can be really, really ugly for their defense. But when they're engaged and when you have some balance, and I also I love the McDaniels pickup for this reason too. It's like an actual switchable wing for them outside of PJ Tucker. Um those are the moments where you start to see it look good, but it just it still feels like this team has another gear and they have more tinkering to do. Yeah, really good point about the rim protection and the paint protection. They're fifth worst in um, opposing field goal percentage at the rim this year, which is a really surprising stat. And I know Joel Embiid doesn't play every game, but you do see him just be conscious of picking up early fouls where he's just like, all right, 
the Ole defense is out and in full force in certain matchups. And it's understandable, like, especially in a game where PJ Tucker isn't playing. It's like, what are we going to do if Joel gets in foul trouble? The answer is we're going to lose the basketball game. So I, I get it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, offensively, look, I, I the Maxi Harden Embiid trio and whether or not Maxi should come off the bench, I think, is just this really, really fascinating question because I totally agree with you that in the playoffs, in particular matchups, be it Cleveland, um, be it the Celtics, uh, even potentially the Raptors, if they play the Raptors um, in the playoffs. Raptors look great, by the way. Um, like defensively, that's just like Harden and Maxi, not what you want on the court at the same time. Melton is very frisky, gets in passing lanes, ton of deflections, ability to play a little bit faster, which they need to do, I think. Um, but Maxi's just like quietly been amazing and you want to play your best players, mm-hmm. right? Like when Maxi and Harden are on the floor, like their offense is just, it's scintillating and they're second right now in the whole league in three point percentage. Um, Maxi's very good, not only in giving them that extra gear in the open floor, but also a pretty good ISO player, also a pretty good tertiary or secondary playmaker and like he's got the step back down like he just he's one of the better outside shooters in terms of creating space getting the shot off and having it be a good look in the entire league so they're really difficult to guard and that's where I get back to just like if they can figure it out with regards to ball movement if they can figure it out with regards to playing the right having the right pieces around those three where if like Jalen pops defensively and you can play him big minutes, that's amazing. If PJ Tucker can stay healthy that and play really great pounding, whoever the best players in the other team, 94 feet for an entire game. Like if he can do that, that's wonderful. Um, just a lot of like questions and ifs for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's like, I feel like some of the other teams that they will play when they want to, they have to beat to get where they want to go. Like those teams have kind of, they already know themselves and they already know the answers to these types of questions. So that's why I just am a little dubious of Philly, but like the more I watch them, like the talent is really there. And again, mm-hmm. I just go back to Harden. I think Harden has been like amazing. Yeah. There's enough, there's enough time left in the season. I think for them to iron out some of those wrinkles the question of whether they will, I you know, I don't know. But to your point, you know, the the starting lineup with Maxi in it has the best net rating of the t- of the lineups that they mostly play. It's fourteen point six. Their offense is absolutely scintillating. Um, but I, I kind of want to get back to the Harden question here because the, the Harden question to me is essentially the can Embiid take less of a load question. And you wrote a great article where you basically, I, I love the way you kind of framed it where. Harden is adapting and adjusting and he's playing incredible basketball. He's had a great season. Um, you mentioned that he should have been an all-star when he was, uh, you know, he's actually somebody I completely omitted from my, for my all-star picks. Um, and when he wrote that, I was like, <laughs> Oh damn, no, he's absolutely right. <laughs> um, but I love the way you framed it in that this is a positive change for Harden. But at the same time, you have to have this question of, 
his his lack of usage and the role that he's playing ideal for the Sixers right now because that's what they need? Or is it just because Harden has dropped off to the point that this is now what he has to be? Yeah. Um, like, I didn't see him ever having the type of game that he did on Saturday against the Bucks, like, mm-hmm. ever again. Like, that's the type of game, 38, 10, 9, efficient, got to the line, 11 free throws. Like, that was just vintage Harden. And Bede was on the court. You're going up against the best defense, one of the best defenses in basketball. Like, did not ever see that happening again. That makes me more bullish on okay, like there is a higher gear here. I don't know if he can capture it for three weeks, four weeks. If he does, then this team is basically going to be like, I'm picking them, but I I don't think he can do that. So like throughout this regular, like it's clear to me that he's just lost a physical step. He's not the exact Mm -hmm. same player that he was when he was actually winning MVP and actually winning scoring titles in Houston. But like, the genius, like he's just maybe the smartest. Not there's a lot of really smart playmakers in the NBA, so I don't know who the smartest one is. But like Harden's name deserves to be up there. Leads the league in assists. The way he, you said it earlier, the way he gets off the ball, like he had this one of his twenty assists last night against the Pacers, where like help defenders at the nail. He just throws it to Shake Milton. Shake Milton gets a wide open three. Like very simple stuff. Mm-hmm. Doesn't try to force things. Trusts his teammates. I think the kick-aheads have been amazing and very necessary for this team because, again, they play so slow. And he just trusts everyone around him. And, like, there's driving kicks. There's when he runs the pick-and-roll with Embiid, which is really, really efficient. Again, dribble handoffs with Embiid when he gets downhill, really efficient. Like, he's kicking out to the corners. Those guys are knocking down the shots. He's a huge reason that they're second in three-point percentage this year, which is really significant um, for their offense. And if it carries over into the playoffs and they keep hitting threes, they're going to be really difficult to beat. But, yeah, like, he's just this really fascinating question for me because, like, I could be wrong. It's just what I think. Like, I don't think he can do it. But, it's not impossible. Like he's really good, super talented. If he stays healthy, like who knows? So I, he's just someone I got to keep my eye on and everyone should be keeping their eyes on, I think. And narrative is such a like fickle thing in our business and just watching the NBA and the narrative on him is just that he will choke in the second round. Like if it's an elimination game, he will not come through. And Like back in the day, I used to pick the Rockets to win the championship basically every year because I trusted him so much and I was burned time and time again. But like if he were to come through an elimination game, I would not be stunned. Like I would not be shocked. Like he's just so talented. So um, especially because right now he's playing on a team where you can't load up just to stop James Harden because Joel Embiid is going to be playing 38, 40 minutes in these playoff games. So the looks are going to be better. I don't know. It's just, he's just, I could go on and on on about James Harden. I'm just really fascinated and looking forward to seeing him in the playoffs this year coming off this season. He had when, yeah, he should have absolutely been an all-star. It's like kind of super disrespectful that he wasn't. This is where I start getting a little bit nervous. Like this is where, <laughs> my, <laughs> you know, my my guts are kind of turning inside out on themselves. 
is like we're talking about believing in James Harden in the playoffs, mm-hmm. which we all know is a very fraught thing. Sure. Uh, believing in James Harden to the extent that we need to believe in him this season where Joel Embiid is like the the possible MVP and he's got Tyrese Maxey on his side, that may be a different proposition here. If he don't doesn't have to come through every single game and carry the load that way. Um, he is also, I love what you said about him kind of dribbling to the nail and then, you know, just making a quick pass. I love when he just like the Pacers, for example, last night, you know, felt like they just wanted to overload on whatever side of the floor that he was on, which sure. Um, <laughs> fine. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't love, I mean, that's just kind of how the Pacers play. I don't love that. They double teamed him in the backcourt for like two straight plays. I was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean, I, I really, it's a different podcast, but Pacers have some questionable defensive strategies, uh, to say the least. Uh, but, and he just, he just swings it and then another guy swings it and it's an open corner three to your point. And by the way, if you're Daryl Morey and, you know, you, you brought, you brought t- Tucker on board, you brought House on board, who is actually, I mean, we'll get into the rotation stuff later. Mm. Um, and you've got Niang on the team. And Joel Embiid is just not passing to the corners. Like, you got to be going a little bit crazy. Like, that's just like, come on, more. Like, it just goes against all of his basketball philosophies, like, you know. (laughs) And also at the same time, you're like, "Eh, why is Niang on the floor if you're not going to hit him for corner threes? Like, that's the one point of having him on the court. And you have to almost give him those those threes just to make up for his lack of defense. Anyway, that is, uh, that's besides the point here. The Harden, Harden thing is... Absolutely fascinating. I'm very curious to see what happens in the postseason. And I'm also like this. Yeah, this is a place where I'm just like, it's tough. It's tough. He's becoming more and more efficient with his movement. He's always been very efficient with his movement. And I think that's what you're kind of maybe getting at when you talk about his intelligence as a playmaker. Because now that like he has all of those plays that he's like, that he's a that he's conducted as the number one guy always holding onto the ball with a little bit more quick decision-making. It's like, he's kind of like a computer and the Sixers are kind of like, their starting lineup is kind of like a bop it. Like, did you ever play with a bop it as a kid? <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's a computer and Doc Rivers is the virus. And I was going to stand up and applaud, but <laughs> no, this, this bop it metaphor also works. I, I want to see where it's going. And yes, of course I played it as a child. It's just that there are so many different buttons that you can press and they're all so different. And that's what makes them so promising because you've got the perfect conductor for it. Like Harden's got his own buttons that he can press. You know, he can go to the step back. He's now on more to the mid-range. I do worry a little bit that the Sixers will get bogged down into into mid-range land a little bit too much, especially in the playoffs. Uh I love the Harden Joel pick and roll. You have to, but at the same time it is very very mid-range heavy, especially as Harden loses a step. But, you know, you've got he can kick to he can kick to Maxi, who's not an automatic shot. If you kick to Maxi and there's, you know, a rotation coming, he's probably going to drive to the rim. And then we'll see what he finds from there. Joel has every possible move in his bag. Maybe he'll post up. Maybe he'll face up. Maybe it'll be a pick and roll. And I just love the versatility of their half court offense. But at the same time, I also start to question it a little bit too, because stylistically, they play so differently from 
the rest of the East and the two teams in the East that really matter for their purposes and the Bucks and the Celtics. Uh, and I just wonder if a team that not only is slow in the sense of the pace that they play at, but also just slow in all of their movements can hang in an Eastern conference that is, you know, I don't like, how do you even describe what the Celtics and the Bucks do in comparison to the Sixers are completely different. Yeah. I just think that, there's just like more two-way versatility with mm-hmm. both Milwaukee and Boston. They can do whatever they want on defense. They can throw out all these different types of lineups. They can drop. They can have Rob Williams just guard the... You can hide Rob Williams on a non-shooter and just have him be this ridiculous help side defender. Same thing with Giannis. You can go small with our guy Grant at the five, even though Boston's kind of gone away from that look, but you can do it in the playoffs. Um, Offensively, you know, they share the ball a little bit better and differently than Philadelphia does, particularly Boston, just like drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick. But like Philly has its bread and butter and it's just kind of churning through the regular season with it. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Like they need to win games to keep pace, keep the third seed at least. Maybe they'll get the two seed. Boston's in this like weird tailspin right now. Um, That's, you know, having home court in in a potential second round series against the Celtics, I think would be like kind of critical if they ever want to beat that team. And then you just look at like the efficiency numbers where, yeah, like, ISO ball is bad. Post-ups are bad. But when you just look at like the play types, like their isolation possessions are like the fifth most efficient action in the whole league in any type of play type, which is absurd. Um, Their post-ups, they're the most efficient or second most efficient post-up team. Sorry. Number one is the Denver Nuggets with a guy named Nikola Jokic over there. (laughs) Um, Incredible with DHOs. Like they're just... They know who they are, but that goes against you in the playoffs when, okay, like when you take away plan A, which is what the playoffs are all about, right? Like, okay, we're going to take away plan A. What's your plan B? And that's where Philly is just like by game four, by game five. Mm-hmm. They don't have anything to go to. They don't have an audible. And the audible is going to be, okay, Harden, uh, five step back threes tonight. You got that in you. <laughs> like that's what it's going to be. And I don't, I just don't know if he can do that. So it's going to be really fascinating to see. That's part of the reason why um, he's just so critical to this whole playoff apparatus right now. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. I think like you hit the nail on the head, the Celtics and the Bucks are just, they're deeper and they're better problem solvers. They can beat you in a number of different ways. And like you look at the like you know they lost the game against the Celtics last night, right? But you look at it and you're like, okay, there's no, there's no Jason Tatum, there's no Al Horford, so obviously they're going to get killed on the boards. But they have enough depth where a guy like Malcolm Brogdon he steps up, and the defense can still be bone crushing without those guys. Mm-hmm. And you know Grant Williams was he was having a good game, um, and, but they just look like a well-oiled machine. You know, they can handle guys being out. They know what to do. They know each other. That's, that's a credit to continuity too. Whereas this Sixers team pretty much since Joel Embiid's tenure has been thrown together. 
The NBA season is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. My MVP for the year, Joel Embiid, is a plus 700 to win the award, so I would smash that bet. I think it's great value. I think this could actually be the year that, that he squeezes through. So don't miss a chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash ringernba. That's fanduel.com slash ringernba to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because FanDuel is coming soon. Make sure you check out fanduel.com slash mast and take advantage of their great pre-life offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-800-327-5050 or visit www.mahelpline.org slash problem gambling. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. I want to talk about their depth next, but before we get into this, I would like to know which 76ers team have you believed in the most, has haunted you the most, has made you the most cynical? Like which iteration is it that is now kind of like impacting the way that you see this team in general? What a question. Um, like the first year that they it was like the first post process team where everything was clicking you had simmons in those last like 15 games of the regular season where mb didn't play and ben simmons was like the best player in the nba and they just like rolled through the league they go up against the miami heat in round one like trample them they get the celtics in round two where it's like jason tatum is 14 years old um there's no Kyrie, no Gordon Hayward. It's just a very young, inexperienced Celtics team, and they lose like badly. And there's the confetti game and all of that. Like that was so like just crippling, I would imagine, to a lot of the people who were involved in that series still. Like that was their chance. And I feel like honestly, like that's not their best team because their best team in my opinion, is the one with Jimmy Butler. And maybe that's your answer to this exercise where it's like you have Jimmy Butler, total coin flip series. Like, obviously, it goes down to Kawhi hitting that shot. If Kawhi doesn't hit that shot, um, the Sixers could easily have won the championship that year. Incredible team. Um, but like that first run when Simmons was just. I mean, going back and watching him with like um, Irsan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli and like all the spacing that that team had and 
I mean, he's he was just a completely different player, uh, just a total blur. So physical, so fearless. Mm-hmm. Um, that team losing in the second round, I was just like, oh man, that's such a bummer for them. But I was that also really, loving it because yeah. I'm a Celtics fan. <laughs> 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 That's a great pick. Sorry, Jays. Sorry, Jays. Um, I actually don't have one for the Sixers. I've never... This is the most <laughs> I've ever believed in them. Wow. And I, I actually think that my perspective is both going to be more biased because I don't have this history of them proving me wrong quite yet. Mm-hmm. But I also, I have to look to to other other smart basketball people like yourself who have been down this road before. So I got to question it a little bit, but I just, yeah, I don't have, I don't have the battle scars with this team. That Butler team was definitely the most talented, but the thing, like, I, I think I would have believed in them, but the way that the schedule shook out that year, they were in Toronto so much and they also played them in the playoffs post trade and I think the wolves were there and it was just such a weird Jimmy year. Um and the vibes were not good. You know, like you go into that locker room and people are kinda like, hmm, I wonder if Joel Embiid is going to like make Brett Brown's life difficult for no reason and say he's not playing ten minutes before the game. Like it was just things didn't seem that great. Ben and Jimmy just weren't really vibing. They had that players only meeting, like and and then the whole team started uh playing a lot more pick and roll basketball with Jimmy Butler being the ball handler and then Simmons is kind of sidelined and you're just wondering like is this team right. going to figure out how to actually play together? This Sixers team at this juncture in March is a lot farther along, at least in terms of figuring that side of it out. I don't think they're as playoff built as that as that other team was. Just like when you have a guy like Jimmy and Simmons at that level on on defense and Embiid with the way that he was playing defense more consistently. It was just a lot more two-way talent. You had Redick on that team. Um it was just it was an amazing starting uh starting lineup and this team kind of has elements of that and they actually they actually seem to like each other. That is something that I think is giving me a little bit more faith in them too. Like, I feel like Joel Embiid and and James Harden, they enjoy each other's company. I feel like the team is kind of... Maxi has, despite his age, been able to command respect or gar- mm-hmm. not command, maybe garner, like maybe command respect is too strong a word, but garner respect on a team full of veterans that play in a very different style. Um, and you kind of go down the line. It's like, you know, like Niang has a podcast where like with with, like Melton and Max, you're on the, you know, it's just like the vibes are, the vibes in Philly seem much better than they've ever been. And that is something that, you know, you can't, you cannot take that for granted as any, as any 76ers fan knows. Um, at the same time though, I I don't think vibes are going to like make this bench any deeper. And like that's probably <laughs> that's probably the next thing to to tack off the list here before we get out of here. I just kind of I don't know. You look at their rotation, and I feel like there are six guys that you can have faith in. Like you've got Embiid, Harden, Tucker, Melton, Maxi, and, and and Tobias Harris, who uh, we probably haven't talked about enough. I think Harris deserves some flowers for how he's consistently sort of. I mean, this guy is just. You can give him the flowers. No one, nobody gives a crap. Like just nobody gives a crap about Tobias Harris. But he just keeps showing up, and, and he's he's improved. He's improved his defense. Like you know, he's just. I feel like that's always the ultimate marker of a team guy, where it's like we're actually not talking about him. Like you know, we'll talk about like Maxi. We're talking about being a team guy. You know, he's he has come off the bench, and now he's back in the starting lineup, and Doc's giving him giving him all this credit for it. Harris just quietly 
continuing to just find his way or not find his way in a rotation that has just never really, never really cared for his presence. So, you know, shout out, shout out Tobias Harris. But I mean, you have to love that they got Jalen McDaniels, just another guy who can play a little bit of defense um, or a lot of bit of defense and, you know, can give you a little bit on offense from time, but they just don't have two way guys, right? Like Niang, you look at and you're like, okay, you love his shooting, but man, I have questions about that guy being just isolated in a, in a playoff matchup. Like if, if the Sixers start like playing really well like that and, and you start getting into that place of like everything becomes a chess match, Niang is probably one of the first guys off the board or the first guy that you really got to figure out something to do with. Paul Reed, same sort of deal, right? Rebounding, hustle. You wrote about this in the Harden article. I can like let, let you kind of take that one, but it's just the, the shooting, you know? Yeah. Like, I think in the playoffs, Paul Reed's minutes are going to be really interesting. Um, anytime Embiid is off the floor, it's kind of like a red light starts flickering. And I don't know what the answer is beyond, okay, we have to kind of like outscore the opponent here. Like there's a lot of pressure on mm-hmm. everyone to make the offense click. And like, I anticipate PJ Tucker being the backup five in the playoffs, you know, matchup dependent, like we'll see what happens. Like maybe they'll need Paul Reed and maybe a hardened Paul Reed pick and roll like works and that's fine. But like when Harden isolates, which he lo- loves to do when Embiid is not in the game and he's really good at it. You just have to space the court. Like, that's just key. That's why he was so effective in Houston. He wasn't like the, like those rosters were impeccably built and like very purposeful with every piece who was on it. Everyone who was invited to the party could shoot threes. So, like, that's why Paul Reed, I just don't think, is a good fit offensively for the team in the playoffs. And like, Jalen McDaniels is going to have to hit open threes. Um, For me, like Tobias Harris is really interesting because I just, he's always been just kind of pegged as overqualified for his role. And he's like extremely overqualified now. He's the fourth option, the fifth option sometimes. I was going to say, that seems friendly. (laughs) Yeah. And I just wonder, like, what if, you know, you're talking about like bringing Maxi off the bench and how he was willing to sacrifice without commotion. Like, why doesn't Tobias Harris, why hasn't he ever been asked to come off the bench? I just feel like that would make things run a little bit more smoothly where you have, like Jalen McDaniels again has to play better, but like either have him play, um, either have him start or like start Maxi and Melton. Like, why can't you do that? That's very small for sure. But like, good luck guarding those lineups. I feel like that would be really interesting. So I don't know. I've always been down on Tobias a little bit, maybe unfairly. Um, He does do a lot of things really well, and he's a matchup nightmare in certain situations. But I don't know. Like they're like they do have the pieces. You really, I totally agree with what you're saying with George Niang. And you think back to when he was on the Jazz. Like Quinn Snyder was just like, "All right, you're not going to play in this series." Like almost immediately, every single year, that's going to happen again. Um. I would think even though he is really important with how he shoots the ball. And if he could like keep the ball in front of him defensively, he would be a really interesting small ball five. And those lineups would be um, really explosive. 
But like, who is going to pop? Like, is it Shake Milton? I don't have any faith. Mm-mm. Shake Milton's had like an okay year for sure. My I just guts don't are faith. just like, Ugh. like I can't, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> like every year, like Daniel House is on this team, and I, you know, he has like he had some plays in the Pacers game for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, the playoffs are just different. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. just. Yeah. You have to. I don't know who Doc Rivers is going to trust. Um, it's not Daniel House. Like he, he's out of the rotation. No. He only played because Harrison Tucker were out last night. Right. Exactly. So, like, I think they know the players that they want to play. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of um, when are they going to play and who are they going to play with. And this team has had a lot of success with Harden and Embiid on the floor at the same time. And that's why Doc is so like unwilling and hesitant to stagger them. But like, I just think you kind of have to, and they've had a lot of success recently with Maxi on the court, like at the start of second quarters by himself. But like, again, in the playoffs, it's just complete, completely different animal. So, mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see how Doc kind of plays this, what Reed's minutes are. Is he going to stagger um, Harden and Bede? And then, like, what is Maxi's? How can Maxi be maximized? Sorry, didn't mean that's the <laughs> stupidest thing I've ever said. Um, <laughs> this team going forward. Like, that's just, these are just, I think these are really important questions and I, they don't have a lot of time to figure them out. Let the record state that the pun was not intended there. It was not. <laughs> the Melton Maxi pairing is really interesting to me because when I watch them, I love it. I think they play a lot faster. They get going in transition. Melton, as you said earlier, just one of the top deflection guys. And then when you got Maxi running alongside him, it's just easy buckets. So, this doesn't pass my eye test, but when they do share the floor together, the pairing, their pace is a hundred and a hundred point. <laughs> like it's like four, it's like four points up from their regular pace, which is crazy. But their defensive rating is 150 and their net rating is, is negative four. They do not make up for it. Is <laughs> <laughs> basically what the numbers are telling us is as fun as it is to watch. They do apparently give up as much as they, as they give us. Um, mm-hmm. The, PJ Tucker at the five thing is interesting. I don't know how much he can hold up through a playoff series being the permanent backup five um, at this age. It's kind of a Moriism thing too, where he is just not going to put too many resources backing up the best player. He just doesn't feel like that's a productive thing to do. But at the same time, they just, I feel like they need a little bit more there. Like Harold is pretty much, he's out of the rotation too. Uh, Korkmaz is very much not in the rotation and I don't know, maybe you see some dead men. I like that. That could potentially be a thing that you see. That is what I will say about that. Uh, it's just tough. I'm, I'm, I don't know how it's necessarily going to, to work out or shake out for those guys, uh, beyond the top six. Uh, it's a, it's an issue. And at this point they, there's nothing they can really do about it. If anything, if I was dog, I would, I would open up the rotation a little bit more, see who's actually, See, see who maybe plays a little bit better. You know, I think House is a guy that after the game he had yesterday, you got to give him a chance, but just because you got to give somebody a chance at this point, right? Like, it's just not sustainable for them to have basically like a seven-man rotation in a playoffs, in the postseason, where now increasingly depth is actually important. Like, teams have figured out how to use their depth, and the, pace, uh, the, the Sixers are just... 
They're just really, really top heavy. If like if this was a fantasy team, what I would do honestly right now is I would start Jalen McDaniels for PJ Tucker. I would make PJ Tucker my backup five, and I would just spend the rest of the season seeing how that looked because I know when in when I play my most important games, like I need PJ Tucker to be my backup five. So why not? Like you don't do it because like. These are human beings and you don't want to make people upset. And, you know, these are creatures of habit and blah, 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 blah. But like when you're playing your most important games, you're going to be doing something different and everyone can see that. So just start practicing it now is kind of like what I would do again. If this was like a fantasy team, like he can't do that in reality. I understand why, or maybe he can, I don't know that it would be something to try. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Can we like fast forward like to the Sixers um, not advancing past the second round like what where what is this what does this team go from here like what what are we even doing like harden's obviously got the player option can opt out a lot of talk about the rockets mm-hmm. it's kind of silly to me but who knows the nba is crazy um and then it's just like is Embiid looking at the new york knicks right now being like that looks like a really cool team <laughs> jalen brunson's awesome <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's, uh, I feel like the short term future for this organization is just like super precarious. And that path is like way more likely than, all right, they persevere and they go to the conference finals or they go to the finals. Like, I don't, 
I think like this blowing up is way more likely than the opposite. I think I think you're right. I mean, I think like what would it take for Doc Rivers to not lose his job this offseason, right? It would have to be at least making the conference finals. Like I don't think a strong second round out gets it. So like that's that's probably number one. Like Doc Doc has been kind of just hanging on by the skin of his teeth on this team and if they don't make a real push this season, and to your point, you know, it, like it can't be another, it can't be another postseason of you see a Sixers lineup out there on the floor that you haven't seen at all in the regular season. I just don't think that that's you can, just can't you can't keep doing that. You just can't keep doing that. I mean, you might, but you just can't. You shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like the Harden to Houston stuff. It's weird. I don't know why this keeps popping up because presumably you'd think, okay, Harden's with his guy, Maury. Um, it seems like he gets along with Embiid. This is this is his chance. Like this is his this is his shot to win a championship and to basically rewrite his legacy. If he doesn't do that, does he go back and join a rebuilding team with like like I don't know, man. Like I would be pretty pissed off if I was 34 years old and I was passing a Jalen Green and I never saw the ball again after that. You know, I just don't know. I don't know how that looks. Uh, but who knows? Like, like you said, the NBA is crazy. I mean, I would, I would imagine a Sixers off season probably looks like Tobias Harris becomes an expire, expiring contract, and maybe you try to splinter him off into a bunch of pieces and improve your depth. Maybe it's maybe it is James Harden opting into a player option and being shipped somewhere else to replenish your depth or maybe bring in another star. I don't know what that like I don't know what James Harden necessarily commands at this point. Credit to more he's commanding a lot more than he would have this last offseason. Um there's a huge bounce back there and he's genuinely like it's he's shown that he's still a star NBA player. So there is that. But yeah, you're definitely you're definitely retooling after that. I don't know if like we're still yet at the point of Joel Embiid looking elsewhere. There's, you know, there's he's locked in until 2026. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, people especially locked, yeah. if Harden if Harden either leaves or plays poorly or whatever, like. Joel Embiid's just been like openly campaigning for the MVP for the past, I don't know how many years goes on every podcast, Mm -hmm. does every interview. That's like been it for him. And he's not going to win it probably again this year. Like the title is like now, okay, I need to win a championship. This is absolutely critical for me. I need to have team success, especially if I'm ever going to win an MVP. And I don't know what you're going to trade Harden for that's going to get you back this elite playmaker who sets up Joel Embiid and keeps Joel Embiid happy. Um, like, I, that's just, I, I don't think that trade is out there. So, yeah, I, I think Embiid would 100% be looking around um, at a lot of different situations and... I don't know. Like I haven't really thought sat here and like created any hypotheticals beyond the Knicks, which is just like the most obvious one for a mm-hmm. variety of reasons. Um, but yeah, I think this could implode. Uh, and you're talking me into it. The thing is like, well, the thing is just like, if you do lose, let's say you lose to the Celtics, right? Let's say you get, let's say you get home court, you get the two seed, lose to the Celtics. 
it's like the Celtics are like still their stars are like in their prime and like they have such continuity. Like there's no reason why the Celtics would fall off at all. If mm-hmm. anything, they just keep getting better and better. So how are you going to beat them next year? Like you have like a mid-level signing is just not going to do it. So like, I don't, I just don't know what you do as a, like, this feels like the last stand in a lot of ways for this team. The Knicks are such a tantalizing option, especially lately. I feel like their biggest W from like this season turnaround has been the fact that they have now finally like this has been the plan since Leon Rose took over, built themselves into a team that a superstar would look at and say, Hey, the New York yes. Knicks, pretty competent. Okay, we have we have a little bit more consistency here. We have Jalen Brunson as a great second star. Also bringing in Embiid is like Embiid is probably one of the few potentially unhappy superstars that you could bring in and it wouldn't undercut the role that they gave Brunson and the idea that they brought him on telling him that, okay, you're going to be the number one guy here. Mm -hmm. So that there's that they've lost out on kind of all the other, all the other stars just haven't been the stars that they've been connected to just haven't been unhappy. You know, like Booker was not unhappy at the right moment. Zion got happy, you know, Carl Mm. Towns was not unhappy at the right moment. And all the other CAA guys are just not necessarily good enough. Um, Embiid, agentless, still. That's a very interesting thing about Embiid. And Joel Embiid has not had an agent for like a really, really long time. He was with CAA. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know the circumstances of his leaving. Is it like he left in a way that, you know, he really didn't want to be a part of CAA? Who knows? Or is it like some of, the, some of that still is there? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That could be. That could be really interesting. That could be really interesting because the Knicks, the Knicks have a lot of young players. They have a lot of draft picks. They have a lot of respi- expiring contracts. They're really it's well positioned. Yes, They're really they well are. Positioned. Got all yeah. their own picks. Mm-hmm. Like Maury would make that trade and then immediately say, "All right, I'm going to go spend some time with my family," and then he would become like the GM of the <laughs> Miami Heat in two weeks. Like that's just what would happen. <laughs> But I oh, just that think was like such it, a good move by Maury, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> but yeah, I just think that this could really fall apart. Um, I hate to be doom and gloom after like talking so positively about Harden and Maxi and Embiid for like an hour, but um, that question, I just, I just think it's one of those like next big, like they wouldn't be as dysfunctional as the Nets, but the Nets changed the whole like course of NBA history this year. And I think that the Sixers could be the next team to do that with their own futility, I guess is the way I'd put it. Yeah, I think that I think that's very much possible. We're gonna have to have you back at some point in the second round or the third round or the finals or maybe even the first round. You know, no one ever knows with this Philly team and then maybe <laughs> we could maybe we could predict the next uh the next Daryl Mori team <laughs> i look forward to that i need to power we should have a power ranking we should power rank all the possible destinations for maury what if he goes back to houston with james harden oh that would be very oh, if they got victor Wembanyama and james harden daryl maury what a summer for houston that would be incredible stuff yeah that would be i'm rooting for that now yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i kind of like that i kind of like that well michael thanks so much for for hopping on um we sh- you have I mean is there is there anything upcoming that you can plug because you're kind of perpetually on the site you had a great 
column on Monday about, you know, the nine things that we should look look for over the stretch run. Everybody go read his Harden column too. We got into it a little bit, but it's just got so much detail that we weren't really, that we didn't, that we didn't get into all of it. Anything else that we can plug for you? Uh, right now I'm working on a story I don't want to step on, but it is my most favorite thing that I've written in a very, very, very long time. So I'm very, and it should be out sometime this month in March. So I'm excited for that to come out. I'm kind of in the bunker working on it. I popped my head up from the bunker for this podcast because you're such a wonderful person and this was so much fun. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so that's basically, (laughs) basically, (laughs) seriously, Kyle. (laughs) Well, I look forward to asking you about this privately. Um, and next week we will, we will probably have Kyle back if he's, uh, if, if he has proved to, to us, to us all, to, to me, to, to our producer, Chris Sutton, uh, to you, I think, I think Michael, you're a great judge of, of these situations as well. If, uh, if Kyle can prove that he is ready to, you know, start a new leaf, uh, then we'll see him (laughs) next week. No, we will actually definitely see Kyle back next week. Um, and yeah, thank you. Uh, th- thank you for hopping on, Mike. Thanks for, for listening. Thanks, Chris, for producing. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>